The title of our lesson this morning is Hope Made Sight. How many have hope today? Amen. But one of these days, there'll be no more need for hope. Amen. Now, by the way, we're not talking about a hope so. We're talking about a solid, biblical-based hope. But one day that hope is going to be made sight. Our family theme today is heaven. Our objective is that we would live for Christ here on earth, knowing for sure that one of these days we are going to rule and reign with him. Now, again, I'm remind you, it's not because we are worthy, because he is worthy. And through his blood, we are then made worthy. Our text this morning is uh, chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 1, verse 5 of chapter 22 of Revelation. Three key truths. Uh, number one, in heaven, God will make all things new. I don't know about you. I can't wait. Amen. Number two, in heaven, God will dwell with his people. And number three, in heaven, believers have eternal life. Under our Bible basics, we're encouraged to memorize uh, Revelation 21.1, where John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, by the way, I'm going to tell you early on, I can't imagine what John saw. I, I just can't imagine uh, the sight and the sound that he saw as he looked into heaven. And again, how this lesson fits, John wrote this sometime in the mid-90s A.D. And I get started, uh, first of all, I am confident there's a positive answer here this morning. How many are going to heaven? Amen, all right? So that being said, uh, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in heaven? What do you mean a new body? What do you mean, Dan? He sure did. Brother Paul walked down to shake my hand. I'm too sorry to walk back to him. But anyway, he came down to shake my hand. And he said, wore me out coming down here. I said, it's your fault because you told me it was going to happen to me. And it did. But yeah, we, we're looking for a new body. Somebody else. We're looking forward to. Say what? Okay. All right. Somebody else. Amen, yeah. Oh, I was listening to uh, Johnny Erickson Todd this, you know, this morning, and she talked about how uh, when she stepped on that slasher shore, and uh, she would probably just fall face on the ground for, for Christ. And she said, I'm not sure how it'll be, but I know one thing, it'll be a time that we never could imagine. What are some of the things you'd be glad are not there? Say it again. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, sin. And that, that's, that's the truth. And what a place it is going to be. Well, certainly, what did you say, Mike? Oh, <laughs> amen. And may I say Republicans and Democrats and Independents, right? Yeah, that's good. No politicians. <laughs> It'll be a brand new world. Well, today, hopefully, uh, there is so much to look forward to. We know that. And today, I hope that we'll be able to identify, at least uh, grab a hold of these promises that uh, Jesus showed John about heaven. Wow, what a, what a, uh, what a uh, group of verses we have today. 
Now, by the way, let me say something here, sort of a pre uh, precursor to our lesson today. We hear so many accounts of people who supposedly died and went to heaven or had his vision, whatever, okay? Now, I got one word for that, hogwash, okay? Now, the reason I'm saying that is because, uh, you know, the, somebody come out with a book, you've heard them over the last 10, 15 years, and then a few, few years later you found out it wasn't true. Uh, but the fact of the matter, now hear me well, even, I don't care how spectacular it made it sound, uh, what they call near-death experience, the vision they have. First of all, how many know your mind can play tricks on you? Sure. Uh, medication can do that. But it's interesting, unbelievers have shared the same kind of stories when they were supposedly near death and uh, went to heaven or had uh, visions of heaven, whatever. But the Bible says that's not true. In fact, the unbeliever does not go to heaven. And certainly we read about that in different places, but even the parable, uh, not the parable, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, the rich man lifted his eyes up in hell. And so we have to understand, we can't go by those books that people make millions of dollars on. What's the only reliable source we have? God's Word. We've got to go by God's Word. And here's the deal, folks. We have the testimony, the eyewitness testimony, of one who has actually been there and tells us what is real and how to get there as well. And that's by following Him. So our first key truth is this. In heaven... God will make all things new. Anybody want to volunteer to read Revelation chapter 21, the first eight verses? Thank you, Dan. What an amazing, amazing introduction uh, as John shares what he sees, a new heaven and a new earth. 
in the chapters leading up to this in the book of Revelation, uh, we have the account of the end of the old world that had been destroyed or been marred by sin and rebellion. And uh, their sin and rebellion had reached to heaven. Now, by the way, when you rebel against God, who wins? God does. And so God defeats them. His armies defeat them. And now God will make everything new. And so when you get to heaven, and John says so in the first few verses of Revelation 21, there will be no longer any type of corruption, no sin on God's new heaven and His new earth. Now, keep in mind, the world we live in, how many know it's been marred by sin? A lot of the things we call natural wonders aren't really natural at all. They're there by the flood. Some of the great canyons, some of the different gorges, and the valleys and all those. But if we search the Word of God, we are reminded that the world we live in, we live in now, was shaped by the flood. And the conditions we have now are what happens after the flood. And so everywhere we look around us today, we see the effects of sin and how it's devastated our world. We know that sin has affected our lives, but how many are glad for the grace of God? The God who comes to us and makes all things new. Now, by the way, even though we're born again, we cannot in this world escape the reminder of what caused the scars to begin with, and that is our sin. But my friend, we've got a a wonderful God, a God who is so gracious, a God who loved us so much, he gave us a way out, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. But John sees this new heaven and a new earth. And kind of interesting, a lot of what we read about heaven in the Bible uh, talks about what is not going to be there. And here in verse 4, what does John tell us some of the things that won't be there? What are some of those things? Yeah. Now, if you can imagine a world like that, you can imagine heaven. They're not going to be there. And you know, it's interesting, Dan, every one of those you read and just listed a moment ago, every one of them speak of loss. Isn't that true? All, you know, it speaks of, of loss. And it's not going to be there. They're absent. But we know the most extreme loss is death. And it's not going to be there. can't remember the author. I want to say Chambers, but it might not be. But he wrote two devotions. Paradise lost and paradise gained. 
do you realize that in heaven we're going to gain what we lost here on earth through sin? God is going to restore it. And you know, according to Romans chapter 8, I'm not going to turn it this morning, Paul said that all of creation groans, waiting for that day. And let's be honest, even as Christians, as good as God, as God is to us and will be to us for all eternity, how many would agree if this world is all there is, we're in trouble? In fact, Paul said, we're of all men most miserable. But to me, one of the best things about this, what makes all of that possible is because God was going to be there. It is the presence of God. And it's interesting, he is going to make his dwelling place with us. With us. Now, I think it's kind of interesting, you know, in in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, of course, uh, God drove them out of the garden. But even that was a, uh, a sign of his grace. Because in that garden was the tree of life. And if they'd eaten the tree of life, they'd have lived forever in a simple condition. And God didn't want that. But nonetheless, since uh, man was expelled from the garden, we have suffered loss. We have suffered loss. And, you know, we, you know the story in, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and uh, how we're told that God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and even talk with him. Well, from that time on, when sin came in, we lost an intimate, close relation with God that we haven't had and won't have until we get to heaven. Now, don't misunderstand. We have one now as Christians. But one day it's going to be face to face. And something that's, a thought just came to my mind about that. Uh, Jesus told the disciples in John 14, if I don't go away, I can't send the comforter. And... Through the years, I've struggled with that because, and, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. And if I understand that correctly, I thought, wow, uh, why do you have to go away? I mean, why can't you be crucified and come back and just stay here? Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I look at that overall text, and it, then I have to realize that there's something special about Christ being with them here on these earth for three and a half years. But there's something even more special about Christ being in us. But there's going to come a day, and Cheryl, you mentioned the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, he'll be there in heaven too. The Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's going to come a day, it's going to go back to God with us. I don't understand all of that, but I know it'll be a time like we've never, ever imagined in our lives. One of the last few words Jesus said on the cross, remember what it was? It is what? It is finished. It is finished. Now, again, let me point something out I think significant here. 
Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, what? It. The plan of salvation is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. It is finished. The sacrifice was completed. Redemption had been purchased. And it bridged the barrier between God and man. It is finished. But now when John speaks about the time when God is going to tabernacle with man, God didn't use Tetelestai. He didn't say it is finished. He said it is done. It is done. Different Greek word. I was checking some other translations. It was yesterday or one day this week one. And some of them, one of them in particular used the word it's finished in here in Revelation. That's not the right word. It's a different Greek word. Get on my. But it's interesting. All things are made new. It is done. Isn't that great? It is done. Now, by the way, Rick stepped out for a moment. He doesn't know what it's like to work hard on something and say it's finished, okay? I like to pick on Rick. You know that by now. But a lot of time we've got a chore we, we have to do, um, we need to do, and, and finally it is finished. That's not the cry there. His cry was a cry of victory. The plan that God wanted for mankind, it is finished. We're in Revelation 21 today. It is finished. Now, the new heaven and new earth where all things are made new, God said, it is done. All things are new. Talks about the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? Just the beginning and just the end? Oh, thank you, Dan. I almost caught you off guard, didn't I? Yeah. It's not just the beginning and the end. It's that and everything in between. And who controls all of that? God controls every bit of that. Now, here's what's interesting. And and please don't miss this. We talk about the sovereignty of God. That is when God's will is going to be accomplished. Eternal life is available to God's children, and we are with Him. But verse 8 reminds us of those who will not be there. And what a sad, sad thing that is. And the reason they're not there, because they didn't trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. So my question is, we, I don't know, there's a, I don't have a student quarterly. Do you have a dig deeper section in your quarterly, in your study guide? A dig deep, called dig deeper? Okay, so it's just the teacher guide. Uh, and every week they usually have at least one or two. But the question they ask in that is, when do Christians go to heaven? You can't all talk at one time. If some of if, if, 
Well, I'm asking you that question, okay? Now, uh, is what you think good enough? Huh? Got to be what you know. When did Christian go to heaven? Well, what did Paul say? If you're absent from the body, you wear present with the Lord. Okay. Uh, so again, death brings us into the presence of the Lord. In Matthew 24, uh, Jesus said, when He returned, He would send the angels. Uh, to gather the elect, that's the saved. Um, Paul wrote the Church of Corinthians, chapter 15, and he said there'll be a, a, a certain point in time when believers will be transformed in a moment. How quick? Say it again, Cheryl. Twinkling of an eye. We know that. Um, now, again, at exactly what point that's going to happen, uh, Different interpretations on that. Certainly, and, and of course, this is only my opinion. And uh, since I don't drink coffee, I don't I don't know what a cup of coffee costs. But if you had my opinion, you couldn't buy a cup of coffee with it. Okay, I know that. If it was a, if it was a nickel, you couldn't. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I believe Christ could come any time. I believe He could come today, but it may be a long time. But nobody knows the day of the hour except for the Father. Uh, a lot of folks believe that uh, the church will be raptured before the tribulation. I'm one of those lot of folks, but don't believe it because I believe it. You believe it because you study God's Word, okay? Uh, so some believe in a, what they call a mid-trib uh, rapture, if you will, halfway through the, through the tribulation. Others say at the end, in Revelation 14, I read it just the other day, uh, verses 14, it talks about two harvests. Uh, where uh, the angels command the another angel to stick a sickle in, and the harvest is taken, uh, where the faithful are separated from the unfaithful. Uh, kind of reminds me of the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares, but a time of separation. But but here's what I want you to know: there are going to be different types or different opinions about how that's going to unfold until Jesus comes. Okay. And we've t- I preached on that some months ago on Sunday night, did a series on that. But here is one solid truth all believers agree on. When Jesus Christ comes back, all of his followers will be with him forever. We all agree upon that. That, my friend, is the hope of heaven. It is a sure, steadfast hope. And John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first world passed away, and there was no more sea. Any question about the first eight verses? You're afraid to ask a question, aren't you? <laughs> Let's apply it. Worship and serve God every day. Look forward to that glorious day when everything will be made new. Number one, heaven In heaven, God makes all things new. Number two, in heaven, God will dwell with his people. Revelation 21, look at verses 9 through 27.
Thank you, Dan. Would you mind reading the names of those precious stones again? <laughs> wow. Can you imagine? Now, listen, I, I, I just sat down yesterday again just to read through those verses. What a, what a marvelous sight John saw. Now, think about this. And thank you, Dan, for reading that. I appreciate it. You did a good job, by the way. Uh, better than I did yesterday trying to read it. <laughs> but John said, all of a sudden, one of the seven angels came to him. And John said, he talked with me. And the angel said, come up here. And John said, he took me by the Spirit to the mountains. And from that mountain, John saw a sight he had never seen before. The angel said, if you'll come up here, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. I'm going to remind you there are a lot of things in the book of Revelation that are symbolic. A lot of them we take literal. In verse 1, John said he saw that new heaven and new earth and there was no more sea. I take that part literally. There was no more ocean because the ocean divides. Some would say, well, that's not literal. It's just speaking symbolically. Sea um, symbolizes turmoil, so there's no more turmoil. I could give them that if they want that. But nonetheless, but John says he sees the bride, the lamb's wife. And there he sits on that mountain. And he sees, according to the scripture, that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. You ever hear the word Jerusalem before? Where at, Cheryl? In fact, you hear about it really from the time of David all the way through the Bible. And two things are important here, I think, as we try to understand. First of all, I had to remind myself, John doesn't try to explain anything, does he? He just tells us what? This is what I saw. But as I think about Jerusalem... Certainly it was a physical location, would you agree, on earth? Had walls around it, gates. But Jerusalem also represented more than a physical place. It represented who? The people of God. When Jesus sat over against the Mount of Olives and they began to weep, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how awful. I would have gathered together as a hen does her chick, and you would not. Do you think he was talking to the physical city? I mean, to the literal? No, he wasn't talking to the walls or the streets. He was talking about who? The people. And yet there's a people and there's a physical, okay? So John sees, <laughs> don't you love this? He sees the bride of the Lamb. Who's the bride of the Lamb? The church. Coming down like a city. 
So I believe there will be a literal city in heaven filled with God's people. That's what John sees. And John said, this city, wow. The city was filled with the glory of God. Filled with the glory of God. There's a wall around it, great and high. Talks about 12 gates. Three on each side. The city was four square. That means it was as long and wide and high. It was over 200 feet thick, the walls were. All these precious stones, the names of the apostles are there. Twelve tribes of Israel names are there. John said the street of the city, and it literally means the main street, was pure gold. And it's interesting, we saw in verse 4 what wasn't there. John begins now in verses 9, following for a while, to tell us what is there. All those precious stones. But John said, now remember, if, if you went to Jerusalem in, in biblical days, there would be a temple there. But in this Jerusalem, what wasn't there? The temple. And the reason is, the temple in the Old Testament and the tabernacle itself represented the presence of God. But because God is now dwelling with his people in this new city, New Jerusalem, there is no need for a temple anymore. We don't need a symbol of God. Why? Amen. The real one is there. So John says, no temple there. God and, and the Lamb are the temple of it. But what about the sun and the moon? Won't be there. Why? No night. God lightens the city. God lightens the city and the Lamb. Now again, a lot of what we know about heaven is what's not going to be there. We get just some things that will be there. John mentioned in verse 24, the nations that are saved will walk in the light of it. And so there will be nations... And uh, Dan read a few minutes ago about these uh, 12 gates. And what, what about these gates? When will they be closed? Never. Now, in the earthly Jerusalem, or any city of such nature, at nighttime they close the gates. Why? Say it again, Cheryl. Yeah, for protection. But why won't these gates be closed? Say it again. That's no night there. No evil. No sin. No worry 
about protection at all. And here's what's interesting. Those saved nations that are around the city, they're going to bring things in to God and throw them at His feet. It's interesting. I have never on this earth lived in a gated community. But one day I will. May I say the most exclusive gated community ever known. But those gates will never, ever be closed. Now, it's interesting. This city is fifteen, about 1,500 miles cubed. I remember years ago listening to Woodrow Crowell speak about this <clears throat> on Back to the Bible. And I never forget what he said. He said, what that means is there's room for everybody. When you try to match, it's room for everybody. Now, I know the King James Version says, in my house, fathers, are many mansions. The word is literally many dwelling places. But when you read the description here in Revelation, I can see why they use the word mansion, can't you? It'll be like nothing we've ever seen in this world. But also what's interesting The Bible tells us the only way we're going to be there is if our names are written in the book of life. How much does that cost? How much do we pay for that? Can we purchase it? No. Can't do that. So getting our name in there is not a matter of being rich or poor. It's actually a matter of birth, and not physical birth, but spiritual birth. The first one in the New Testament mentioned in the Book of Life was the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church at Philippi, and he makes reference to the fellow laborers there. And he identifies some by name, but others who also have their names in the book of life. We read more about it here in Revelation. The church of Sardis was promised that those who overcome will have white garments. Their names will be in the book of life. Never brought it out. Uh, we also read in chapter 13 that those who worship the beast uh, will not have their names in the book of life. In chapter 20, we read... Uh, that the book of life is part of the final judgment, a record of those who are allowed to enter into the New Jerusalem. But the sad thing is, if your name, if their name's not in there, guess what? They're bound for a devil's hell. No temple, no tabernacle, no sun, no moon. Open gates all the time. And by the way, Somebody mentioned a moment ago, I think Phyllis, she said there's no night there. 
That tells me we all get to heaven the same day. There's no night. There is no night there. So apply it. Let's worship and serve God every day. And one of these days we're going to enjoy His full presence. Number one, in heaven God will make all things new. Number two, God will dwell with His people. Number three, in heaven we will have eternal life. Revelation 22, the first five verses. And He showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. Notice this, and they shall reign forever and ever. John sees this river of life coming out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. If you think about what we're reading here in the first five verses, it's really similar to the Garden of Eden. There was a river that um, went through the center of the Garden of Eden. And it watered and it went into, into three different rivers. But nonetheless, we can only imagine the trees in that garden. And you know, God told Adam and Eve they could eat of every tree, but not the tree of good, uh, of the good knowledge of evil. Couldn't eat of that. But here we find God restores His original creation. In the garden, till Adam and Eve sinned, there was no curse. The curse came, but now in heaven, there is no more curse. And because there's no more curse, now you remember what God uh, told Adam and Eve, the day you do that tree, you shall surely die. That's part of the curse, fiercely and physically. But because in heaven there's no more curse, there's no more death. And John said, I saw a river of life flowing, and I saw a tree of life growing. But notice this. Everything in this new garden comes from the throne of God. And again, reminding us that God is the source of everything. In fact, according to this, and we know it's true, even today, God provides everything we're going to need. Everything needed. Now again, John didn't try to explain what he's seeing, doesn't try to dissect it and break it down for us. He simply says, this is what I saw. So he doesn't tell us about the function of the tree. He doesn't tell us about the purpose of the tree of life. But he does say it bears different fruit every month. 
And it says the leaves on that tree were for the healing of the nations. And again, we're not sure what that involves or why that's there, but it is. But please understand something, folks. Everything John sees here, even here in these first five verses of chapter 22, the focus is not on that river. It's not on the trees. The focus is on God and the Lamb. Because John says at that time, the Bible says at that time, we will see him in his fullness, and those who belong to him are going to spend eternity worshiping and serving him. Now again, let me ask you a question, and and again, we can only speculate here. When you first step into heaven, you think you're going to look up the Apostle Paul right away? How about Moses or Abraham? What are you going to do? We're going to fall down and worship the one on the throne. In the original creation, God designed us to dwell with him. Everything was perfect. And Isaiah wrote of a time in Isaiah 65 where there would be a new heaven and a new earth. He also writes of a time, and the song has it wrong, it's not the lion lays down with the lamb. It's the wolf that lays down with the lamb. But everything will go back to the way it was in the garden. And guess who makes all that possible? Only God. Only God. How many are glad for the hope of heaven? Let's all stand together. Next week, we begin a brand new quarter. And I uh, can't really call it a quarter. Uh, they're going two months at a time now. And we're going back to the uh, clear, instead of the fusion, which is very similar, but we're going back to that. And so next week, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first nine verses, and also uh, in Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 23. And we're going to look at where discipleship begins. Father, thank you today for your precious word. And Father, thank you for the sure hope of heaven. And thank you for Christ who made it possible. And we pray it all in his name. Amen.